right, tonight, the title of our, our sermon is, uh, is entitled our series on Romans. Our title of our sermon is when we come to the end of ourselves. How many of you have ever come to an end of yourself on something? I mean, you gave it your best effort. You gave your college try. You gave it everything you had. And then you just came to the place where you just have to absolutely, I can't do this. I want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, I want to tell a little story on myself. One of my, uh, not specific story, just a descriptive of, of, of aspect of my personality, one of my many weaknesses that I have is, is this, is that I don't have natural, instinctive, mechanical skills. That wouldn't be what God uh, birthed me in. I remember being in woodshop in seventh grade, and I, I was trying to make a squared box in woodshop, and I couldn't make that thing. It was at an obtuse angle, and it was one wall was higher than the other wall, and I couldn't nail it. And I mean, it just wasn't like no one would look at me when I was 12 and 13 like that kid is going to be a carpenter. I mean, really, I mean that kid, that guy's going to fix things, and uh, this didn't happen. But I really like to work. I really like doing dirty jobs, and I really like going after those things. So I enjoy. You know, tearing it up on the property and, and getting dirty something when, when I'm not overly busy. And I, I like trying to fix something if I can and maybe learn. The other part of my personality is I'm very stubborn. So once I start something, I won't quit. I will conquer this thing. So you put the lack of natural instinctive uh, mechanical skills, you put it with a stubborn, you know, dogged personality, and then I'll bite into this thing and not let it go till I fix it. And we've had a lot of catastrophic things happen in our home. You know, I've taken something that would be as simple as maybe replacing a P-trap, and by the time I'm done, we have to tear out the wall. Okay, it's just, and I'm just created, and I'm angry, and I'm upset, and, and what usually happens is after four or five hours of just banging on this thing and doing this and doing that, I call one of my friends who has some skill, called Jim Avery. <laughs> Jim, could you possibly come over here on this particular situation? I know how to play the violin to get their help, and or I'll call Rod Robinson, who's been involved in so many fix-it projects around our house. Rod, Rod uh, you know, I hate even to call you, but you know, I got my handful of go-tos on that, and they come in, and what's hilarious, they fix within probably 20 minutes what I couldn't do in five hours. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little gimme of a shimmega gig or something like that. All we got to do is do this, and bam, I'm back into business. And, you know, I want to make this statement because our spiritual life parallels that particular weakness in me is that God has designed his plan for our lives that we cannot fulfill it in our own efforts, but by his power and for his glory. If it comes by his power, then God gets the glory. If it comes from my efforts, I get the glory. And God's not gonna share his glory with me. Yeah, I'm the Lord, I'm gonna share my glory with none other. He's not gonna share his glory with me. So he's going to bring me to the place where it's his power and the work of his spirit that's going to make that happen. So many times God brings us to the end of ourselves. So all we can do and our and all we can do is really depend on him as our source. He brings us to the end of ourselves. So all we can do is depend on him as our source. I remember in 1982, Sue and I made a decision to come down to 
from a logging town called Elma, Washington, quit my teaching job, come down to Bible college because I was going to be a pastor. That's, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stop one career and get trained for the other. The problem is there was no jobs down here in 1982. Everyone's complaining right now about the jobless rate. Really? It is... It is nothing compared to what it was like around here in 1982. You couldn't find a job, and it was hard. So we came right down the middle of this. I had money for tuition to go to one year of Bible school, and we had no place to live. And then someone opened up their house for us to, to uh, house sit for a whole year while I was going to Bible college, rent-free. And, uh, you know, I had, I had three or four little side jobs I was doing around here and finally got opened a door. But I remember when I first got down here, I didn't know what we were going to do. We were, we were jumping off a cliff. And I remember going into a, the prayer room at Bible Temple in my former church. And I remember Sue was in California with her parents. I moved all the stuff down and I was by myself. And I remember going up to a wall in the prayer room, my face next to the wall. And I prayed this profound prayer. Lord... Help me. That may seem real simple, but that was one of the most sincere prayers I ever prayed because I really needed God's help. He brings us to the end of ourselves, so really we would depend on him as our only source. He did that in the children of Israel. When he got them out of Egypt, it's a great story. We love Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, and, you know, they come out, and, you know, they're blowing the... They're blowing the horn, ram's horns and they're leaving Egypt and it's all great. But if you study the first three days of their journey, they're heading south and southeast. It looks like they're heading to Canaan land. And all of a sudden on day three, God has them do a U-turn going back up north. Now, why would he do that? Because what he was going to do, he was going to bring them to a place where their backs are to the Red Sea. And he created a, a, a perspective for Pharaoh that they were confused. That it would look like an appearance that they were confused. And so Pharaoh says, there, there they are in the wilderness. We can go get them. So God, by doing that, provokes Pharaoh to harden his heart one more time to come get him because he's going to judge him. And he put his people's back to the Red Sea so they couldn't wiggle out themselves. And all they could do is say, God, deliver us. Of course, that wasn't their first response. Their first response is, Moses, did you take us out here to kill us? The Egyptians are going to kill us. But once again, God shows up. They're at the end of themselves. Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of God. That's exactly what they did. We know the waters part. We've driven through it at Universal Studios. And uh, you got to the other side. And uh, they get the glory. And in the chapter 15... Miriam dances with the, the women of Israel and they're dancing and they're singing about the Lord. You know what they're not singing about? They're not singing about Moses stretching a stick upon, across the water. There's nothing in that song. Moses stuck his stick across the water. No, they didn't. They just said the Lord has done valiantly. He's thrown the horse and the chariot in the, in the sea. He's, he's, he's defeated our enemies. It was God. It was God. It was God. It was God. Because God took him to the place that only he could do it. Now that sounds like, wow, but it's just not fun to get to that place. It's just not enjoyable to be in a place where I'm brought to the end of ourselves. But this is why we're saved and called to live by faith. Now, let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is helplessness reaching out to God in total dependence. Well, that doesn't sound like, wow. 
helplessness. I mean, if we're really going to live a life of faith, I got to become helpless. Yeah, you're going to get yourself in situations about his plan, about your relationship with him, where you're going to be helpless in yourself. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be totally dependent upon him as your only source. Now, this starts with our salvation. We come to the end of ourselves. We talked about this last week. I can't remove my guilt. I, could, I can't take the stain off my conscience. I remember I tried to do that so many different ways for a two and a half year period. One of the ways that got me to Christ is I couldn't wash the stain off the guilt of my soul. I couldn't do it in myself. The other thing is I couldn't break sin, sin's habits and I couldn't change myself and I was bound, I was in, I was in bondage to sin. He who sins me is the slave of sin, Jesus said. I was a slave to sin. And so I, I needed to come to the end of myself and put my faith in Christ and his work. The second thing is it continues, though. You know, Colossians 2, 6 says, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. So faith isn't just an initial thing. Isn't that cute? You just got saved, put your faith in Jesus. That's just the beginning of thousands of acts of putting your faith in Jesus and to having total dependence upon him. He continues in every aspect of God's plan coming to pass in our life, this faith does, this helplessness does. He's gonna bring it to pass. His plan for your life and my life, for our church, for the church of Jesus, requires, requires his intervention to bring about his will. So I got a great, we, got, we think God wants us to do this. The plan requires God's intervention to bring that to pass. Now, yes, well, Bob, what about the church? Well, the church, Jesus builds the church. Now, aren't, aren't, aren't you and Pastor Pete and the leaders also church builders? We are to a degree. We're co-laborers with him. We, we build, but we're building with him. We're not building, you know, a way to get God just to bless our building. We're trying to follow him as he's building. He's building this thing. And whatever he's asked us to do, it really requires his intervention. And your life, your business, your personal life, things you feel are God's will, it requires his intervention so that at the end there's no boasting and no bragging. It's amazing listening to people at parties. A lot of times they're in the corner talking about their career, what they're doing, and it's all about what we're doing. And, you know, I watch it even in my world of pastoral colleagues. You know, this is what we do over here at our church. It's, uh, you know, at Faith Temple. You know, we're doing this, and we're doing this, and we're doing this. We, 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 we're doing this, we're doing this. And, what, what is God doing? He brings us to the end of ourselves so that he can show up. Now, in this principle, Abraham, father of the Jewish race and the father of all Jews who believe, and also the, really the father of the church because he is our father, according to Romans 4, of all those who believe who are not saved by the law, we're saved by faith. We follow the faith of Abraham. He's, he's the father of of all believing people. He is our example of what, of what it means to be saved by faith and, and to live a life of faith. So Paul, when he was trying to establish this doctrine in the book of Romans that we're saved by faith, not by keeping the law. Now he's got some Jewish hearers in his congregation there in Rome who are probably questioning, well, what about the law? And where is this in, in, in our heritage? What, what new doctrine is this? And he's going to say, this isn't a new doctrine. In my case of point, I'm going to go to the father of our race and, say, and, and let you know that this is how he got saved. It's not a new program. 
And so he goes and he starts off in Romans 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh, has discovered regarding this matter? What matter? Salvation by faith. For if Abraham was declared righteous by the works of the law or by his efforts, his moral perfection or all those things, he has something to boast about, but, but not before God. Why? Because God knows better. God knows the real story. Yeah, yeah, I did this and did this and did this and did this and God was just so happy with me, all the different things I was doing. And that's why, that's why he chose me. And this is how I came up with Isaac. I mean, no, no, God, God would, God would, I, that's a, no, that's a different story. There's a different story. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That, that word credit, it's interesting. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's put to your account. All of a sudden you had zero balance. All of a sudden you had a bunch of money. Here, a few weeks ago, someone just suggested a suit because she got cut off on a long-term subbing situation that she ought to apply for unemployment. So she said, well, I, think I'm a, I think I'm gonna take a whack at it, apply for unemployment. We've never done anything like that in our whole entire life. We've never applied for unemployment. Why, why do this now? So well, okay, you might as well do it. So she did. And, then one day I looked at my savings account and all of a sudden there was a bunch of money in there that wasn't there before. Someone just credited to my account. What did I do? Nothing. What did Sue do? She filled out a form. Okay, what did Abraham do? He believed. And it was credit to him righteousness. Now what about all the, the obedient stuff? We got to remember that to be obedient, you first have to have faith. Faith leads to obedience. And so Abraham is our example on this. But what? What was he believing for God for in this story? Well, we know in Genesis 12 that Abraham came out of what was called Ur of the Chaldees and probably was an idol worshiper. God called him out at the age of 75 years of age. His wife was 65. And what's interesting is that this, this magnificent couple who had prospered and increased and were great in business, they couldn't have any kids. Sarah was a good-looking lady. Every time Abraham took her someplace, someone wanted her as his wife. And, uh, you know, so, but they couldn't have kids, and they really suffered for this. And so God chooses this couple, tells them to come out. I'm going to give you a land to you and to your generations that follow you. And through you and through your offspring, Abraham, because God's always global, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you even though you haven't in your own ability be able to have kids. Well, he gets in the land and few things take place. You know, he, he, there was a famine. He goes down to Egypt. Pharaoh wanted to, you know, steal Sarah, his wife, away from him, thinking that she was his sister because Abraham deceived him. And, and of course, that got all, that got all unwound. And, and he got out of Egypt and with some embarrassment. And then he got caught up in a civil war. And his nephew Lot got captured. He had to fight a battle to get him out. And I mean, it's been a tough time. In chapter 15, God comes to him and, and he says, listen, I'm your shield. I'll protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm your reward, Abraham. Keep in this program. And he says to God, he says, come on, why haven't you given me a child? You haven't given me the heir yet to fulfill what you've promised me. And God says this to him. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, 
so shall your offspring be. I know right now we have a lot of sight pollution. You go out your back porch tonight, you're probably not going to see millions of stars. But if you went to a, you know, a place in the rural areas and mountain country and you got away from all lights, you would see the stars that Abraham saw. The galaxies and the systems and the, just the, I don't know how many stars we have even in our own galaxy. My wife's the scientist. But he said, look at that. that that's what's going to come out of you, Abraham. And you know, you and I tonight are part of that promise, which was so exciting. And uh, he says, look, there they are. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And so he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, so Abraham's life is a pattern for my life and your life. If he's the, really the father of our faith, as he's the, you know, if we have the faith of Abraham, we shall be saved, then we got to kind of figure out what that faith looked like. And it had some characteristics to it. And I'm going to wind this down and bring this sermon to a close real, real soon here. The first is this, is that God called him. He didn't go after God. God came to him. God said to him, I want you to leave your family. I want you to set yourself apart from your country, from your family, and I will make you a great nation. You know, we always say, you know, I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. And he called you out of a life. He called me out of a life. And he, and he called us to love him above all things and to follow him. And he has a plan for us. First, an eternal relationship with him, yes, but a purpose here on the earth. We're called by God. Everyone here has been called by God. When I was the youth pastor, you know, kids would come back from youth camp and say, oh, I received a call. I want you to know that everybody here has received a call from God. Everybody has a call. The second thing he did is God promised him uh, something that really that only God could fulfill. When he's showing him all those stars in the sky and he says, listen, so shall your offspring be. He was most likely 85 years old. His wife was 75. Okay, not only did they have a horrible failure record in trying to produce a child, like nada, like nothing, like no one, like zero, nothing, but now even in his own physical state and her physical state, things are, things are dried up, okay? It's just, this is, this is going to be impossible. So he actually promised Abraham something that Abraham in his own ability couldn't fulfill. So we're walking in this faith in our life. Would God ask me to do something that's above me? And sometimes people would say, no, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. He loves me too much. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yes, he would do that. He will stretch you to places of discomfort, knowing his power would work in you, beyond you. I always tell people, if you're not feeling stretched outside of your comfort zone, you're probably not in the will of God. I just lost my PowerPoint, Brittany. I don't know why. So anyway, so you follow me. You follow me on my points there? You got it? All right. Third thing is this, that all Abraham could do then was believe. Because it was outside of his control. All he can do is believe. There's just some things we got to believe. Now, in that belief, we got to move in God's direction. In that belief, we got to listen to his voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. But we got to believe him for that. The fourth is this, is that Abraham failed in, in, in this particular journey and created chaos when he tried to fulfill God's plans in his own efforts. Right after chapter 15, when he believes God, God credits to him, 
his righteousness and God actually stoops down and makes a covenant with him cutting animals in the half and passing through it and doing the covenant thing that they did in the ancient world of those days. If I break my word, let me be cut in pieces like this animal. I mean, God just stoops himself down for that just to say, listen, I not only promise this thing, I make an oath to you that I'm going to do this. Then chapter 16, which most likely is the next year, Sarah and Abraham, they get a little impatient in this thing. Let's bring Hagar, my handmaiden in. Go get her pregnant. Make her your concubine. Get her pregnant. And God will fulfill his plan through Ishmael. Well, we know because we read the paper when we, every time we got strife going on in places of the world, some of it has to do with Abraham creating his own plan, kind of got his hands on God's plan and created a lot of confusion, even within his own family and Hagar's life and Ishmael's life because he was going to help God out. You know, we can really mess up God's plan sometimes by our efforts out of our own agenda. And then we, we see that, that God allowed Abraham to really come to the end of himself. And we see this in chapter 17. I mean, he's now 99 years old. If he's 99 years old, his wife is 89 years old. Guys, it's going from we were helpless then in chapter 15, we're helpless, helpless. Now in chapter 17, we're helpless, helpless, helpless. Okay, but God's just, you know, is it yet? No, no, I got to bring you a little bit, even more, even, even more, the more. There's still too much of you in, a, in this thing. But Lord, now, no, no, there's a little bit too much of you still in this thing. I got to get it all out. And God comes and he's going to make a covenant with you. And here's what's going to take place. And it's interesting in chapter 17 and verse 18. Abraham makes this statement to God, let Ishmael, let my plan live before you. Let the work of my efforts work before you. No, 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 no. It's, it's the work of God. I got to do this work. And then, of course, we know God tests Abraham in his faith. Why does my faith always have to be tested? Well, to show its true faith, to purify it, to actually make faith stronger. And the last point is this, is that Abraham's faith grew to a faith without human limits through this whole process. For Paul said in Romans chapter 4, he said he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. I mean, this is right. I'm going to have a baby. Okay, it's just, it, it, it was tough. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, okay, he didn't consider, you know, she is now 89 years old, okay, she, to conceive at 90, I mean, I mean, he just said, you know what, God said this thing, I'm still believing. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief. Yeah, we know that he got impatient, let Ishmael live before you, how come you didn't give me an heir yet, so on and so forth. He had his moments, however, God judges us on the final outcome, not the struggle in the journey. And notice what happened. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, what only God can do. You know, if we're going to grow strong in faith, we grow through resistance. We grow through endurance. 
You know, if all my faith was is I just blab something and grab it and I got a formula for you and you come discouraged, no, you just kind of confess this, say it three times, and by the end of the week, God will, God will give you what you are claiming. There's no growth. There's no growth. You're a sprinter. You're not a distance runner. You don't know how to endure and believe against all odds for long periods of time. God allowed the conflict to get him to believe even more. But it goes on to say, he was fully convinced that God was able, not himself, not Sarah, not, not, in the, not their physical posture at the time or position in life. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. God can do this. He's not a liar. God can do this. He's able. God can do this. He will. It's also, will be also counted to us who believed in him, or excuse me, it was, but, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Point the person around you, say, this was, this is for you. And this is for you. This is written for us. It will be counted to us who believe in him, in God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So just as Abraham comes to the end of himself to receive the promise that God promised, our salvation comes when we come to the end of our own efforts, our own moral efforts. And not, I'm not saying don't live a life of discipline. You know me better than that. But when we come trying to save ourselves by who we are, and we have to come to the end of that, and we have to say, you know, it's the work of Jesus. It's the work of the cross. And it's the work of his grace changing me and transforming me. That's what Paul's trying to make the point here. But also, not just in our salvation, but as we walk with him and trying to fulfill his plan for our life. God, man, this has been a tough season. Man, what, have you forsaken me? No, I'm growing you in faith because I'm bringing you possibly to the place where you are creating a platform in your life for me to show up by my power and for my glory. And then you will say, only God could have done this. Only God could have done this. Now, how do we apply this to City Harvest Church? And... Um, where we go. Every series, every sermon in this series, we have a kind of an identity and an action that we want to identify with as a church and an action we want to do. Our identity in this would be this in application. Our identity is, is that everything God does in me comes by God's power. That's our confession. Come on. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who does what? Strengthens me. Not that I can just do all things. I can only do all things through him who strengthens me. It's his strength. It's his power. It's his anointing moving through my life. I'll never forget Father Dennis Bennett, who basically was the instrument that God used to bring me into a place of salvation in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember the night I met him in a place called the manger. So he's sharing his story, how God mildly used him. He, was a, he had the, you know, the reverse collar. He's a brilliant thinker and scholar and he said you know I got a lot of energy he did he had a lot of energy and gray hair but he was just spunky he says you know the energy you see right now this is the power of God working through me and it was all about the power of God it was the power of grace it's the power of his spirit working in and through him and I'll never forget that come on it's Christ in you Christ in me that's the hope of glory it's his work it's his power the second is this we must believe 
Obviously, that's the foundation. He believed God and accounted him for righteousness. But that belief now leads to obedience. Not just obedience to the general will of God, but obedience to his directives in your life. Obedience to his dealings in your life. By faith, you're embracing that. And then, and completely trust in his power to bring about what he promises to do in your life and in my life. What he wants to do in the church and what he wants to do by his spirit. Amen.